we're going to go ahead and get started. So first of all, we salute you as the diehards who are here for the last session on the last day of the conference. This is We Can Do It Collaboratively. We are going to be talking about not really so much developing a case for or encouraging you to collaborate as nuts and bolts of how we've done it and how it has worked with a process and a project that we've all been involved with in different ways and, and how this is going to work. We're going to start with some brief introductions. Um, I'll talk just briefly about the institution. Where is this coming from? What's the project that it's based on? And then I'll let each of our panelists have their own moment to kind of introduce themselves and their role. And then we also want to hear from you. We are going to break into a group and hear a little bit from you about what your challenges are. What are the barriers, the things you're trying to overcome when you think about collaboration on your end? And I'll say one of the pieces behind this, I know I've attended a number of sessions related to collaboration over the last few days. And this idea about how can you get large organizations, the big dogs, as I've heard in multiple sessions, and smaller organizations to work together. Um, some of us here in the kind of frame that we're talking about do represent a big dog, although I know that if I asked Bob here, one of our panelists, he would say, well, you know, we're large, but there are many different ways that you define this. So we also have two representatives from much smaller organizations. Um, we'll come back up after we get some input from you. We have a little bit of a panel discussion up here regarding some both philosophies and active points regarding our collaboration and the processes that people have used. And then we will have another sort of problem-solving activity out on the floor with you. I'll tell you that they are recording this session, so there might be a little bit of awkwardness back and forth because we, are need, we need to kind of stick with mics. And there's a little bit of extra juggling. That's why um, it, it's going to be a little funny. I know I haven't been involved with a session they're recording before, so we'll see how that piece of it goes. I will also say that I'm acting as our timekeeper, so if you see me looking down at my phone at various points, I'm not texting someone and I'm not sending some kind of message or checking Facebook. I'm trying to keep some things within a time limit here. Um, so this project is based on two pieces that are coming from the Senator John Hines History Center in Pittsburgh. We are in the kind of official sense of physical space, um, the largest history museum in the state of Pennsylvania. We're based in downtown Pittsburgh. It's a large old historic ice warehouse. There's actually a piece of the building that extends behind that. We are also a Smithsonian affiliate. But this project is based on one of our programs. It's called the History Center Affiliates Program. Um, and in this particular instance, the collaborative project we're talking about is a traveling exhibit that was partially funded by IMLS that was based on a permanent exhibition, well not a permanent, a temporary exhibition but much larger, 10,000 square feet, that the institution did a number of years ago and then it was scaled much, much smaller to something that travels free of charge to the members of our affiliate network. Um, in this case, it's actually the second exhibition of this kind that we've done. They started the program back in 2012, and there was a lot of retooling this time around where there was a piece of this project from the very beginning that was conceptualized as a collaborative piece of this. That is, each venue who was going to host this exhibition was then going to work with other sites to make an even further reach into the community. This is not really how we did it the first time around. So what it meant was there were far fewer 
number of site hostings available, but instead places were encouraged to reach out to a broader network. So I know some people, I, I, a couple of you have been at other sessions I've attended, she talked about consortium networks and other kind of networks. I'd say this is more of a hub and spoke sort of system where we work with a set of institutions and then they work with another set of peer group institutions. And ultimately, when this is done, it's, it's actually still touring, there will be 17 sites. They will have reached at least 136 partners. And that's the host doing that. That's not us reaching that extra 136. And in one of those small pieces of an argument for the larger organization, you know, this is something that thus far has generated at least 72 additional media hits. That's newspaper, radio, television in these communities in the surrounding area around Pittsburgh that we never would have hit. And I know since, since there have been a number of conversations about the big dogs in some of our other sessions, I think one of the things behind this for Pittsburgh, the History Center is to give you just a brief bit of context, a relatively new institution in its current form. It opened in 1996. It's based on a much older institution, the Historical Society of Western Pennsylvania, that started back in the 1800s. But through a story that is too long to go into all of it here, um, the industrial collapse in Pittsburgh is really what spurred the creation of the History Center. And as part of that, I think there's always been a consciousness that while center of Pittsburgh has been a part of this story, that all of those communities that are out throughout the industrial valleys, whether you're talking about our Mon Valley, the Monongahela Valley, um, places like McKeesport, Denora, um, the Ohio River Valley, McKees Rocks, or even into Eastern Ohio and West Virginia, that that story and the interrelation between these places really gave us a different obligation to work with other communities. So that's always been a part of our concept. I know that's a little bit different than some of the realities we've been talking about at this conference. So what I wanna do is briefly let each of our panelists over here introduce themselves and then we're going to break up and go out and encourage you to think about this a little bit as well too. So. I want to invite one of you to grab the microphone here. And Bob, you go ahead, and then it'll be Aaron and Jared. I thought we were doing karaoke. I'm sorry. That was last night. Uh, my name's Robert Stakely. I'm with the Heinz History Center, as Leslie said, the largest organization dedicated to the history in the state of Pennsylvania. I love my job. I love what I do. So I'm going to look to you to keep me on time because as all of my colleagues and friends know, I can talk and talk and talk and talk. Because when you're passionate about something that you do, you want to, there's a, there's a phrase that I use, you'll hear me refer to certain letters like CPA, CCC, um, uh, PAC. If you're passionate about something, you're going to take action about it. If you're passionate and you take action, hopefully you're going to communicate uh, that passion and action. So PAC is very important to me. But by a show of hands, I want to get a feel for this room. Uh, small, medium, large organizations, who do you represent? Do we have any small organizations, maybe one or two staff, very limited resources? Okay. What about our medium organizations? Okay. And what does that, really, what does that mean for you? Uh, 40, maybe 30, 40, okay. Uh, large organizations, who do you guys represent? Okay. Minnesota, yeah. That's good. Okay. Right. 
Perfect. And that's really what our network is all about. You'll hear, I'm glad that Leslie introduced our program accordingly, appropriately. Uh, History Center Affiliates Program, you'll see me default into something like, if you hear me say Affiliates Program or HCAP, I'm going to try not to use HCAP, but it's hard for me. Again, I love letters and numbers. Um, referring to the same program. That program is a membership-based program. Uh, when I say membership, our affiliates do pay us to belong to this membership, but um, if you saw our benefits page, I'm gonna briefly talk about some of those. You might say, how much does that cost? And now I sound like the salesman. I'm not trying to get you, I'm not gonna try to recruit you to our affiliates program, but I want you to start thinking about how this might work for you as a small, medium, or large organization. It's $75, and we actually just rose, uh, raised that fee from $50, and they get our magazine, they get our newsletter, but more importantly, why it's important to our affiliates is they get connected to our paid professional staff, and we have over 150 paid professional staff. So if they have an issue with managing volunteers, fundraising, uh, collections management, doing a program, developing an exhibit, they can come to us. And that network is close to 500 organizations across I the tri-state area. I was just gonna ask area. you how many you work with. Yeah, about close to 500 organizations across the tri-state area. And if you're not familiar with that side of Pennsylvania, I'll look this way as if I'm looking at a map of Western Pennsylvania. Erie, Blair, Somerset, Bedford counties, near Harris, Harrisburg, down south Washington, Green counties, um, Morgantown, West Virginia, Panhandle, West Virginia, and eastern part of Ohio. So um, we do a lot of work, and I put a lot of miles, not on my car, but we have a company van that allows me to travel the tri-state area. It is not a luxury van it's either. It's not. It's actually in the shop as we speak, so I can go on about that. Okay. Um, but that's my means of uh, uh, transportation. But what we do is we make these sites better at what they do, and it's reciprocal. They make us better at all that we do. So every staff member department at the Heinz History Center works in some capacity whether they know it or not, with our affiliate programs uh, members. And these members are awesome. Uh, I'm always looking for new members. Again, I'm not preaching here. I'm not trying to recruit you. But um, our members are great, and we love working with them. And I hope to hear the and same thing from yeah. them as well. And we'll meet two of them. I think one of the things that we decided early on when we were talking about, we really wanted to get some of the lessons from this out there was that it really should not be just those of us from the big institution talking about this, but some of the affiliate members as well. So I'm going to shift here and go ahead and start with Aaron. Let you Pass two introduce mic. yourselves. Tell us, tell them where you are from, what your title is, and then also how many organizations you worked with as part of this project? How many other partners did you bring to the table? Right. Hello, uh, my name is Aaron. I'm uh, from the Ohio County Public Library in Wheeling, West Virginia. I'm the currently, um, my official title is the Web Administrator and Local History Specialist, but we are a small uh, county library, and so I have a lot more subtitles than that, but those are my two main um, jobs. Wheeling, right now, the population is about 27,000. As a county library, we serve about 40,000 people. Um, our foot traffic, we get anywhere from 200 to 400 people through our doors every day. Uh, we have a robust local history and genealogy program, um, a dedicated archive space, uh, and we recently, um, and this is part of our partnership with the Heinz History Center, 
um, have an expanded exhibit space now for local history um, displays and exhibits. And we work a lot with the community to bring in those. We use uh, materials from our own collections, but also we try to connect with people in the community to fill that space as well, um, just so that we're connecting with the community. We, we're trying to redefine libraries in the 21st century and what it means to be a library, and a lot of that is we're pushing them for community involvement and continuing to look for ways to bring people into the library and get them to look beyond just books, you know, we're, we're more than books. We have um, programming that brings in 70 people every week. Um, and we, we do a lun dedicated lunch with books every Tuesday at noon. So people know every Tuesday that they, they have a program. We also have a People's University um, program that we do four times a year. It's an eight week program at night where people can get university level classes for free. and um, we were able to tie both of those into our program with the traveling exhibit with Heinz history um, to uh, bring in the interest and get people to come in and look at the exhibit and um, also learn about World War II in Wheeling and Pittsburgh during that time. And by the way, Pittsburgh is only 50, mi 50 minutes away from Wheeling. It seems like a world away when you say West Virginia, but we're really not that far away. So um, There are different kinds of barriers. The, yes. The mental yeah, the and geographic. Line, you would not believe how, what a big barrier the state line is. We are really in this little portion of West Virginia so that's only 15 miles wide. Ohio's on one side, uh, Pits or Pennsylvania's on the other side. And um, it really, just the word West Virginia becomes a huge barrier in between Ohio and Pennsylvania, but that is um, the synopsis of <laughs> the Ohio Clinical Thank you. Sure. <laughs> and our final panelist, go ahead, I'll let you introduce All yourself. Right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jared Frederick, and I, like many of you, wear many hats uh, at my local level. Um, my main job is I'm an instructor of history at Penn State Altoona, which is one of about two dozen branch campuses that Penn State has within the Commonwealth. But a component of my work is working with grassroots history. And an organization that I've long been involved with is the Blair County Historical Society, which is based out of the building that we can see up here on the screen that is, that is the Baker Mansion History Museum, uh, which is located in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And we've been an affiliate of the Heinz History Center for a number of years now. Uh, we received their first traveling roadshow exhibit a number of years ago, which looked at uh, Pennsylvania in the Civil War. And we were lucky enough to uh, receive that, that more sort of treatment with uh, the World War II exhibit, uh, We Can Do It, uh, that's uh, circling uh, Western Pennsylvania as we speak. And collaboration took a number of different forms in how we went through with a lot of these different commemorative activities. Um, as you might guess, just by looking at the photograph of our building, you know, we are in a 19th century mansion that was constructed in the 1840s. We have a lot of original furnishings in there. We do not have a lot of space as wiggle room to hold traveling exhibits. So we actually partnered up with another local museum, the Altoona Railroaders Memorial Museum. Um, and so we had kind of a collaborative project within a collaborative project in this regard. That museum, it fit the time period better, you know, it was, you know, at work, you know, during the World War II years. Um, and so we had 
kind of uh, exhibits on World War II scattered between those two sites. And we partnered with an additional 15 or so organizations. And what we wanted to do is that we wanted to have multiple events every week of the six weeks that we had that traveling road show at our two respective sites. Um, so just as a, a few examples, we had living history encampments at a number of the historic sites in our area. We showed classic movies at our historic downtown theater. On June 7th, we had a D-Day tribute baseball game at our local minor league team. Uh, the local amusement park had World War II themed fireworks show. Um, the list went on and on and on, and it was very diverse. It was very eclectic. We brought people together that perhaps otherwise wouldn't have thought to have worked together, but we really wanted to reach out to as many organizations as possible so we could, you know, collectively have this moment of reflection on the 75th anniversary of the Second World War. Uh, so um, all of this was under the umbrella of the Heinz History Center, but there were a lot of us that were scrunched there underneath uh, that umbrella. And, uh, you know, we had huge turnout at a lot of those events, and it was a really great collaborative experience. Then we were all brought together by both the exhibit and a lot of the anniversaries that have been ongoing. Thank you, Derek. And just briefly, I'm your moderator, Leslie Sibilic. I'm senior curator at the Heinz History Center. I, as, as Bob have said, multiple staff members at the History Center work with the affiliates program in different ways, but that's not my primary role. I work with a lot of other exhibit and development projects. Um, but as someone who also has a past in small and mid-sized regional museums and experience with a couple of the national traveling exhibition projects, I really felt in watching this model and the way it unrolls, and more than that, the philosophies behind it and strategies that have been used, that there are things that clearly will be useful to share with the field. So what we're going to do, and I know at this point maybe you've heard the phrase too many times, what are we waiting for? Um, and either at this point you're ready to run screaming from the room because you've heard the phrase, or it's getting you really riled up to go back to your institutions and say, what can I do? What can I do now? And as I mentioned, I've seen multiple sessions at this conference that deal with collaboration. Um, this is just a World War II image from Pittsburgh. It's students working together on a civil defense poster, some working together more effectively than others. But it's not always easy here in Pittsburgh, and I have to say, we just couldn't get out of Philly without making a jab. You might want to work with someone, but does your neighbor want to work with you? Um, if you is anybody here from Philly? Uh, you might know full well that the Penguins and the Flyers don't play well together. We have this girl with her little sign, oh, you guys make me so happy, and his basically says, we hate you. I know that even with our HCAP program, there are sometimes institutions that don't speak to each other. They might be in the same building and they don't speak to each other. But there are ways to get around that, to bridge that gap, to find new common ground to work together. And you know, another piece of this, the History Center has a very large collection related to Mr. Rogers. Um, Exile's Treehouse, King Friday's Castle. There is within our sort of conception this idea of shouldn't we be good neighbors? I mean, shouldn't we reach out and we help the other organizations in the region? But while that's a wonderful philosophy, sometimes it feels more like this. There's a large boulder. There's some kind of roadblock in the middle of the road. 
And what we'd like to get a sense from you before we actually launch into our panel discussion is what are the roadblocks in your way? And it can be you or for those of you who work for a larger institution, what are some of the, the barriers that the other institutions within your network face that you constantly see people trying to get around? What challenges block you from collaborating? And especially, what challenges block you from collaborating between the larger institutions and the smaller institutions? And Bob is going to hand out some post-it notes. I'd like you to take a few minutes. And write down one or two things. And then if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to have you Take your post-it notes and get up and put them on the wall over near Aaron. Wait, raise your hand. Wave at everybody. Put them on the wall over here near Aaron. And while you're writing, we've also given you, you have a sheet with some brief bios on us and other contact information. This is not going to be a PowerPoint heavy session. From this point forward, in fact, it's going to be largely PowerPoint less. Um, we really want to focus it on di dialogue, both with our group in terms of philosophies and then with your activities. But we wanted to make sure you had names and information so you don't have to worry about writing them down. want to write them all on one post-it note that's fine if you need more post-it notes we can pass them around if you want to keep that barrier challenge per post-it note that's okay uh, if you want to extend it or connect it in some way uh, the colors at this point don't really mean anything so go to town and uh, we want to know what you're that's why you came to this session that's why you're here at this conference uh, we want to work through this together and we want to be open honest about what these challenges and barriers are. As with any kind of therapy, when we were putting this together, Leslie's laughing, uh, in order to find a solution to a problem, you have to be able to say you have one or be self-aware of it, right? So this is part of the step, this step one. So when you're done, go ahead, Aaron, stand over on the wall. Now there's a nice pink post-it note to start the process. Give you about another minute. If you haven't finished up yet, go ahead and write down your thought and get it up there on the wall. And we're using the model that we use to deliver and execute the traveling exhibit. 
as this uh, identify a challenge uh, let's find solutions to it that we're not saying that you should now create a traveling World War II exhibit and work with everyone in your community or your county to do so but we're going to give you some foundation work uh, has anyone done the rose thorn bud process is anyone familiar with that we have one person with that and so you'll see this a lot in the corporate world uh, and nonprofit world uh, often what happens is what's successful in the corporate world ends up trickling down to the nonprofit world so uh, if we were going to do this in its full exercise we would have had color-coded post-it notes and the rose post-it note might have been red for a rose and it might be identifying our successes given that analogy um, what might we refer to a bud being Oh, there goes one post in that. That's okay. Bud typically denotes, man, am I bad at spelling that? Ideas. And a thorn would be what our challenge or barrier might be. And what we're doing today, we're not doing this full blown as far as we didn't ask what your successes are in collaborative work has been or is. We haven't asked you yet what your ideas are on what collaborative networks or uh, um, ideas are, but we've decided to hone in on what those challenges or barriers are. So this is kind of where we're heading, and we're going to do some more hands-on fun work, collaborative work within this room. Leslie? Okay, can I get a volunteer who might be willing to read what's on a few post-it notes up there? Who would like to be our, please step up, thank you. I was going to say, if not, I'm going to call on someone. <laughs> Forgot to say, I'm a former librarian, archivist, and educator. I taught preschool for one year, so I'm uh, not afraid to call on people. How many do you want me to read? Um, go ahead and read three or four. Okay. In big organizations, different departments working at different paces, making external communication difficult. So communication... Lack of clarity in the ask or roles of different players. Fear or discomfort. Different definitions of collaboration. What makes a small institution a desirable partner or an asset for larger organizations? A sense of competition. Their lack of staff. Historical hard feelings, baggage from the past. Okay. That's great. No, thank you. Thank you for thank collaborating. Are you, yeah, you're done. Good job. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> and so first what I'm going to do is ask my panelists for the piece of this that is discussion to come back here. I'm going to wrangle you back around the table so that we can do the mics all in one place. Oh. So that includes attention. you. Sorry. But I'll tell you that some of what I hear on those post-it notes are exactly things that we have wrestled with as part of trying to help people get together and work together as part of this project. And if you couldn't tell by now, in some ways, Bob's role within the affiliate program is almost to function as a coach 
for the smaller organizations that we work with. So it's, it's a step-by-step, peer-to-peer process. Um, most of his time, literally, is spent outside of the building facilitating this. And Bob, can I wrangle you back to the table as well? So part of this is, is designed to be a conversation with our three panelists. And in fact, your post-it notes have hit right into some of the issues that are on our sheet for questions. And then as well, I have a couple things too, and I'm going to shift my position so I can see here. So I'll start, and Bob, you already addressed a little bit of this, but can you discuss a little bit more your philosophy behind how you approach working with the smaller organizations? I mean, you've mentioned the rosebud thorn process, but what's your philosophy behind, behind how you reach out to those? And why, in effect, is it worth it for a larger organization to do that? Uh, sure, and I'll do that all in about a couple minutes, maybe. Well, just, um, again, I'll do my best to address that. And at the end of this, our contact information will be available to you. Uh, as I said from the beginning, we all love our jobs, and we would love to uh, coach you. Coach, I'm also a baseball coach, uh, and I never tell my players you need to hit a home run. Uh, I expect you to go three for three this game. It's all about taking the bumps uh, with the bruises, with the successes. I always like to tell my players, um, we've all been through the academic uh, wash and dryer cycles, and that is if you get th three out of ten on a test, for the most part, unless it's on a bell-shaped curve, you failed. But in Major League Baseball, you're in the Hall of Fame. So we really need to be, I'm really uh, realistic or pragmatic in my uh, approach and, and networking with these affiliate sites. And um, it's old school in the sense that I want to reach out to them and face-to-face -face, uh, meeting. I want to see their sites. Uh, I can talk endlessly about the Ohio County Public Library and their collections, Blair County, the Ohio Railroad uh, Museum, Memorial Museum site, uh, Denora, et cetera, et cetera. But it's finding individuals in these communities that you feel will make a good partner for you. Um, that's, not, that's not hard for me because I love people, I love history, I love collections, and I like a little bit of a challenge. To find, and I think we all have that shared passion, action, and communication uh, thought process. People like you or like me exist outside your university, outside your small or large historical society. And sometimes, as simple as it sounds, it's a simple phone call, email, or walking into the library and meeting an individual that has the same kind of skill set passion and enthusiasm about what you are already doing and they may be doing the same kind of work uh, at the same level and what I'm all I'm never embarrassed to say uh, most of the people that I work with are more qualified than I am Jared has written how many books a professor at history at Penn State uh, Aaron's the same way and, and I would never be able to and I would never try to pose or try to tell the story of wheeling or Altoona, I'm always going to default to the authorities or the, the historians or those people who know it. So why not work with these individuals rather than trying to recreate the wheel, recreate something that is going to take you a lot of time and a lot of resources, and it's going to be probably uh, very challenging or a barrier already to do. 
And I think what Bob said also, without him coming directly and saying it, underlines something that is a marked piece of this program, that is there's a level of respect from the beginning that goes into it when they're approaching these organizations. It's not, look, we're the history center. We're coming in to tell you what to do. It's working with them. It's almost that sort of servant leader concept. How can I give assistance to you? I'm acknowledging you might be the expert for your particular institution. Yeah. Well, and I think that comes back to this, uh, that idea of clarity. And there is an advantage with our affiliate program that there are two pieces of it. When we are working on this traveling exhibit program, there's a very clear sense of what we're asking people to do in terms of collaborate. You're collaborating, programming, here is what we're giving to you. Um, but otherwise, and I'll let Bob answer that in a minute, although I want to get to our other two panelists too here. I think for us, it's a matter of defining some very clear lines from the beginning. Bob doesn't do the work for other affiliates. Um, he works with them. I think to a certain degree, there's that reality that when you open yourself up to that sort of service, that, that challenge of the perception is going to be there. And I think one of the things that helps overcome that is when it becomes a personal experience. It's that power of starting small, starting one with a face-to-face -face connection. I think being able to sit down with people as opposed to having them email you and thinking that you're going to be at their disposal, every time they send an email, you're going to get an answer back. When he goes from site to site to site and he works with them, they know he's busy too and that he cares about them as individual sites, so if he doesn't answer that email in the next 20 minutes, that it's not that he's kind of not addressing their needs, but that there's something else there as part of the process. And I think that's a good way to segue to Jared and Aaron. And Jared, I'm going to start with you with this. Talk a little bit from your end. Um, why do this? Why did the Blair County sign on to this in the first place? And then how do you, when, when you began to be involved with this, how did you start that process? How did you sell it on your end with other partners? But let me just, th there are two things that we do not do, and I'm clear with everyone that I meet. Uh, we get those same questions. We do not allocate funds or write checks, nor do we lend, or I, will, I would never send staff to another organization to work for a day, a week, six months, or a year. But there are 998 other benefits and perks to this network, this affiliates program. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll preface my little bit here by giving some history and some context that will probably sound familiar to, to many of you. Um, a lot of the organizations and cultural institutions in my area were very territorial. Uh, they were, you know, operated by, you know, uh, uh, cliquish groups of, of individuals uh, who were sometimes at odds with each other. And, you know, if, if they couldn't play nicely in one organization, they would, they would bounce over to another. Um, you know, but, you know, I had the, the fortune 
of growing up in the area where I now live and, and work as a, a professional in the history field. And I started playing the long game uh, a number of years ago. And I started volunteering at a number of these institutions when I was a teenager. And so I had years to build good rapport with uh, a lot of these individuals, whether if I, I agreed with their philosophies or not. Um, and I think it, it goes to prove another point, too. Uh, you know, if, if you read newspapers, editorials, you turn on cable news, millennials get bashed a whole lot in today's society. Millennials don't care about history. You know, they're, they're detached from society. They aren't engaged to the level that they should be. Um, but in my area, I see quite the opposite uh, to be the case. Um, it's people in their 30s who are restoring buildings in our downtown. It is people in their late 20s and their early 30s who are revamping museums and exhibits and so on and so forth. And we aren't spurning the older generations who came before us either. We realized that people had their limitations. We learned from that, but we aren't going to throw away their institutional knowledge and their historical knowledge in the name of moving forward. Uh, so you can't uh, roll out anything. Uh, you, you really have to look at your full menu of options and the affiliates program with the Heinz History Center has allowed us to realize in many cases what a lot of those options are. And so that leads me to my, my bigger point here that I'll, I'll sum up very quickly. Um, at our museum, the Baker Mansion History Museum, um, when I was a volunteer docent a number of years ago, I were getting people in their 60s and their 70s coming into the museum saying that this place looks exactly the same that it did when I came here on my fifth grade field trip. The museum and exhibit cases had not changed at all. Um, and so, you know, five or six years ago, uh, as old leadership was going out and new leadership was coming in, there was this realization that we need fresh rotating exhibits, we need more events, you need change in order to draw people in. And whether it be the Civil War traveling exhibit or the World War II traveling exhibit, these are things that capture the public's attention. Uh, and so we jump right on board when those opportunities present themselves. And indeed, um, our visitation has gone through the roof by contrast over the past five years as a result. Um, so whenever these opportunities come available, um, you know, it, it's sometimes important to overlook your initial apprehension. You know, I don't have enough people, I don't have enough resources. In many cases, those things will work themselves out if you're just brave enough to take that, that first step. So think outside the box, don't roll anything out, be open-minded, and make personal connections to try to build or rebuild some of those burned bridges of the past. And, and Aaron, I will ask you essentially the same question. Why for the Ohio County Public Library? One, I know that there was discussion even on our end as an institution. Why West Virginia? So, and you've hinted at that. Maybe get into that a little bit more. And then what assets did a library see in this? Sure. Um, and just to get back to your question about um, people calling and taking resources. I know like, we are a much smaller institution, but we kind of... Um, we have a lot of people calling it in and wanting us to do research for them, and we just say we do not, 
we do not do research, but we facilitate it. Um, and that's kind of our official position. Um, we, we facilitate, as a library, we, we connect people to resources, but we do not give, you know, we, we do not take from our own <laughs> staff time and things to do that for us. So um, that's just a, a position that um, we found very helpful, or a, a phrase that we found very helpful to stop people from taking advantage <laughs> of us, our limited resources. Um, but yes, uh, I think as a, a facility that really is, is pushing local history, um, our, our director likes to say our history is our past, our past is our future. Um, it, the idea of getting the World War II exhibit, it just made sense to us. We do so much in the community with local history. Um, uh, our director encourages us to be on boards and co uh, committees in the community so that we are placing ourselves in all of these little historical uh, niches. Much like Jared, we have uh, very well-established um, groups that have that often butt heads. And um, I did not grow up in Wheeling, uh, but I've been able to place myself in these by n not assuming that I know anything. And I think taking that uh, sort of a back seat and letting them become comfortable with me has we we have been able to break down those walls and barriers. We now have people on our staff who are on um, the committee of one of the oldest preservation um, groups in the state. We're on the Wheeling Hall of Fame. Um, just all of these. The two we have two staff members who are on the West Virginia Independence Hall Foundation, which is the museum for the state's birthplace, uh, and just going out and just becoming part of those. Uh, community projects is part of our mission as a library, so it makes sense for us to join other affiliate programs that are pushing essentially our same mission, which is to um, preserve the local history and um, connect people to resources. And I think that's, as being part of the, the library, our big main goal is to make resources accessible. Um, and that often means connecting people to the community resources, to the historical, connecting them to the historical groups. And by being a member of the HCAP, that has expanded our network so much. Um, and I, I didn't get around to saying it in the introduction, but we partnered with 13 local um, groups, uh, Holocaust educators with three local universities, the archives of the uh, Wheeling Charleston Diocese, um, and some of those partnerships we already had, but others we also worked with the museum, um, the, the Defenders of Bataan. That was a new partnership for us that arose out of this um, this network with the HCAP, um, and being in I, I sort of talked about this a little bit. Being in West Virginia, we're always running up against a stigma. And for us being able to partner with something like the Heinz History Center in Pittsburgh, it, it just gave us a, a level of um, uh, sort of, I guess, it, it, it was a, 
step up for us. You know, people took us a little more seriously that we were able to be an affiliate with something like the Heinz History Center. And um, that's something that we're, we always have in the back of our mind, like what can we do to make people take West Virginia a little more seriously to show that we're not a backwards kind of um, area of the world and that we're, we're doing good things and, and the HCAP has really helped us do that. And this, um, the, the media that we got from having the, the We Can Do It World War II traveling exhibit, um, it was it was wonderful. The TV came, the newspapers came, it, and we were really able to broaden our um, media coverage from that as well. So. And I think there's something in this idea of the model of a library that when you talk about how do you make that balance between people expecting certain things and you not being able to deliver that, I think it's useful to think of and see libraries as a model where we can use other pieces of that within this because nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people do understand. They go into the library, they're looking for books, they don't expect you to do it all for them, although I'm sure Aaron knows examples where they get like requests way larger than what they can handle. Um, but I think those two pieces, one, this idea of underlying respect, looking at it as something where it's a win-win scenario for both partners, and then this idea that different kinds of institutions all have something to play in this that are both incredibly useful. And Bob, I want to turn it back to you for a minute if you want to grab that mic there. Um, one of the things I think in looking over the comments that people have, asked, have made on their post-it notes, this idea of fear, competition, territoriality uh, comes up in multiple post-it notes. Talk about for the affiliates program, you know, you really function sort of as a matchmaker, coming into an organization, to feeling out both the barriers and the possibilities. Talk a little bit about your process. How do you, in effect, matchmake? How do you help bring organizations together? And what strategies do you use to help them overcome some of those issues of territoriality or competition? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, again, old school, and I owe a lot of my, uh, um, I guess, networking and expertise skills uh, to my parents, believe it or not. It's when you're growing up, my son's here with me now. He's 12 years old, and if you have kids, you know where that is. You can't do anything right, and uh, you're not smart. What do you know? Uh, and I said the same thing about my parents, but I really saw them as being able to... Um, uh, network and relate to uh, anyone. And uh, maybe you heard at this uh, session, um, diversity and inclusion. We talk about it, again, do we practice it? Do we take action towards it? Do we communicate it? Um, it's one thing to be invited to the party and you can speak diversity and, and say it's diverse, but inclusion is are you being asked to dance? So our, and in the sense of what we're working towards here is I can talk about an affiliate network, 500 sites, three states. Um, it's diverse in the qualms of topic, subject, geographical location, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm treating them as my colleagues, and, and I should. Why wouldn't I? Uh, it's mutual respect, as I said before. Uh, these individuals are more qualified than I am on paper. Uh, they have their PhDs. They certainly know their local history. Uh, I'm going in there and saying, thanks for meeting with me. 
Uh, thanks for sharing with me your history. Uh, how can we work together? How can I help you? How can you help us? But ultimately, how can we help the region, whether it be through an exhibit like this or a People's University program or doing outreach or um, getting the word out about Jared's 75th anniversary D-Day book? It's all towards the love of history and being able to uh, work together. And, and there are challenges, no doubt, but I love a good challenge. Um, and I, I love people. I love working with people. And I love making that match between us and wheeling, where some of my colleagues were saying, how are you getting a wheeling? As if I had to take a, a flight there. Or, uh, um, or why are we working with wheeling? Or why are we working with a library? Traditionally speaking, our affiliates program was centered around the county that we were in, Allegheny County, and was working with smaller historical societies. Over the years, we've embraced and worked with public libraries, universities and colleges, uh, organizations that don't even have brick and mortar facilities like the National American Glass Club, schools, middle school, high schools, colleges and universities I mentioned, all towards the betterment of history in our region and our community. So then within that, dial down a little more. Um, can you provide an example of where you might have helped? I know we've had some eight, some of the affiliate sites where, for example, two places in the same community haven't really engaged for many, many years. How do you help them, help a couple of their volunteers or staff members work around the immediate impasse? Yeah, um, I think the best way to tackle a problem is to hit it right on, address the issue, uh, and bring those people together. And in the extreme sense, uh, it may work or it may not work out, but in most cases it will work out, especially if you're pulling in that individual with his or her organization, historical society, or university. So hit it head on, and I hope that we can, what the rest of this workshop will do is give you a formula or give you a template in how to brainstorm and how to come up with a design to help promote collaborative work and come up with solutions and how to do that as well. And then Jared and Aaron, and Aaron, let's start with you this time. How do you find other collaborative partners in your community? We talked a little bit about this when we were in our phone conversations, when we were working through some of the content of this session. How do you literally go out and find new people to bring to the table? Um, a lot of it, uh, we have just gone to places and just showing up and walking in and showing interest in what people are doing. That that has been a huge um, part of our being able to partner with people is just showing up and showing that you're interested in what they're doing. Um, another way is, it's one of the virtues of being a public library, is people just stop in and start a conversation. And just by getting to know them personally, the, the more you talk to them, the more comfortable they are with you. And we've had some really great um, collaborative projects just from people stopping in and making a comment on something, and it, and it leads into this big conversation, and you get to know each other. And um, we've had some wonderful exhibits just with people that we've gotten to know who have stopped in, and we took the time to talk to them. Um, and in a third way, uh, especially with our, our lecture series, is just um, if we have something in mind that we're, we, we're looking 
um, down the road that we want to do, we'll just start looking at people on YouTube and seeing what kind of a speaker they are, how they present themselves, and we've found some really great um, we've found some really great people to come to our, our people's universities and our lunch with books by doing that and then they come and we get to know them and it leads to they they tell us you know you should talk to this person and that person and you know that it's just that spreading network and it's all about being open and um listening and communicating and i think that that really has been our biggest um I think there. two pieces of what Aaron brings up. One, it's that crucial point, again, of starting small. If you just reach out to someone and say, hey, we want to collaborate, but there's no past history, in some cases it might work. But if you've been to an exhibit opening before, or you've been to one of their events, or you've shown interest in them as an organization, being present for them, it can help overcome some of that initial hesitation and at least start to bridge that gap. Um, so I think that's a really valuable piece to remember as part of this. And then as well with what she's saying, this idea of using different resources, especially for those of you who might be from a small museum, and you say, oh man, you know, we've tried to contact that big organization and they never get back to us. Don't think of them as a large agency. Look for people. Look for individuals who work might affiliate with what you're doing. Um, look for someone whose work you really admire and reach out to them in a different context. Say, hey, I'd love to just take 10 minutes and learn more about what you're doing. Um, as I've heard it in a couple other sessions, there's a beauty behind yes. A lot of people will say yes to you if you reach out in the right way. So maybe if that's something that you're having trouble with, think about another way to reach out to those larger organizations where you're not looking at it as this one big institution, but instead you're looking for people whose interests and whose activities merge and align with what you're doing. And Jared, I'm going to ask you the same question, and then I'm going to pass this mic to you. Talk a little bit about how you find partners within the Blair County community. And then, frankly, I mean, you're a volunteer at Blair County. It's a very small organization. How on earth do you prioritize the time to find those partners and then work with building those relationships? Yeah, to answer the first part of that question, and uh, to build upon what, what Aaron said just a moment ago, you have to show interest in what other organizations are doing before they will even consider partnering with you or showing interest in what you are doing. And I find that one of the most effective means of building that sort of camaraderie is going to their special events. Do they have a monthly lecture series? Do they have a summer festival? Uh, what do they do in the community? If you show up at those events in an in informal and unofficial capacity, just as an interested bystander, not only will the leadership of those organizations notice, but their whole constituency will notice. And that goes a really long way in helping to build a sense of solidarity. And those are some of the, the first really effective baby steps um, in moving forward. Um, so go to their lectures, go to their special events, uh, show interest in what they are doing. And I've had a lot of great projects and conversations that have started um, in this very casual manner uh, as a result. Um, so uh, think of yourself as an unofficial ambassador before you, you, uh, you know, take that, that bigger bite that will lead you to the bigger project. Um, I find that another really effective means um, is 
food. <laughs> Take people out to lunch. Uh, and that is, is also a, a really effective means of uh, embarking on a, a larger conversation. Uh, take muffins to their office, you know. Have some sort of goodwill gesture uh, to present to them. Um, so um, I practice both of those uh, very heartily, and they, they've paid off in, in big dividends in more than one occasion. And would you uh, say again the, the second part of that question? Um. After you've identified those partners, then how do you prioritize the time to work with them? You, especially thinking of Blair County, is a largely, although not totally, a largely volunteer institution. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a, a sort of moment where you can take what a lot of people consider the, the cons and turn them into pros. Uh, because, you know, I think it's pretty well established and the, the post-it notes that we put up on the wall are reflected of this. There's sometimes bad blood between these organizations. But, you know, over time, you realize that at the same moment, a lot of these organizations have uh, a similar uh, family lineage, okay? You know, they were founded by the same families, you know, maybe the, the wife volunteers at this organization while the husband volunteers at that one. And uh, especially in, in smaller cities or communities, I mean, Altoon is a city of about 45,000 people. The history buffs, suffice it to say, know each other. At least they, they have heard of each other. And I see a lot of you shaking your heads um, in agreement. And, you know, uh, an example that we mentioned earlier um, is the Baker Mansion History Museum and uh, another museum that's only five-minute drive away from us, Altoona Railroaders Memorial Museum. Um, you know, we have, you know, volunteers that, that volunteer at both of those locations. Use them as ambassadors as well. Um, and you can have those sorts of volunteers, uh, you know, reach out, you know, and say, you know, hey, you know, we have this idea here. Maybe the next time you're over at the Railroaders Museum, you know, you can share that idea with the curator or the executive director or whoever the powers may be. So uh, it's also about utilizing the tolls that are in your toolbox. Uh, who do your volunteers know? How can they connect you with these other organizations? So uh, sometimes it goes beyond what your paid staff can do. Uh, we'll look at it through other means too. That's actually a really good point. Um, and it uh, applies not just to the smaller institutions, but the larger ones as well. I mean, sometimes we have docents at the History Center who have incredible connections to both the corporate community and other organizations in Pittsburgh. Sometimes, if you are the smaller institution and you are trying to find an inroad into that larger dog, attend a tour, attend a docent tour, talk to the docents, ask the docents who are the people on the staff they enjoy working with, who's a good curator, who's someone who really works with them, and what are their recommendations? You know, it's looking for recommendations person to person. I know. As part of another one of the projects I do at the History Center, we're working with some exhibit development related to one of the industries in the community. And every time we bring someone in to work with them, one of the questions is then, who would you recommend in your network we also talk to? So again, think of it as person to person. Rather than looking for that big institution, sending out one email, find someone. And it could very well be that your best avenue into that is a docent or a volunteer. 
They are so in the know. And in the case of what we're talking about with collaboration, they might be the person who can provide that suggestion of who's the best person in the organization to approach. Now, we are going to shift for a moment here and go back to a piece of our group process, and then we'll come back together. I'm kind of our time keeper here, keeping us on track. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, our panelists, to get up and move around. For you, we would like each of you, you're going to go back to the post-it notes, but don't take your post-it note. We would like you to t pick up someone else's post-it note. So you can take anyone up here there you want, except for the one you wrote. So go ahead. Get up. I'll let him take a picture of it. And then we'd like you to pair up with someone who you did not come into the session with. So if there's two of you who are friends or who are working for the same institution, buddy up with someone else. I'm telling you to take the other mic. <laughs> I'm going to let you manage your part of the yeah. problem solving. Partner up. Could be in your same row, same section. You can work as a group of two or three. That's fine, too. Uh, hopefully, you all have a lined piece of paper that also as serves as a sticky note. And Jared reminded me, as an example, as you're starting to think through this, we did want to mention the rationale behind the little earbuds you have. They are from the Ohio County Public, Public Library. And what happened is bringing an exhibit into a library space presented some, we'll say, audio challenges. It's a library. There are soundtrack pieces within this exhibit. And so the decision was made, and Aaron can then address it a little more, but I have the mic at the moment. We've been told to speak into the mics. Um, it was a way for them to overcome the noise barriers, but it didn't totally work. Um, you found, what, that people didn't necessarily use them? Um, yeah, actually, we, we uh, purchased 500 of them, and I think we ended up giving away less than 100. People were just uncomfortable with the idea of taking them, and uh, you know, we reinforced the idea that they're free, you don't have to give them back, and even some of the people who did take them wanted to give them back to us. And um, I'm not really sure why people are uncomfortable with the idea of the headphones, oh. but it, it was just a really tough sell to give them free headphones to listen to these audio pieces in the exhibit. But we wanted to give you just a little bit of swag here for the end of the conference, and we also saw them as a really nice metaphor for this idea of what it takes to collaborate. 
one, it takes listening in both directions. Um, while, the, the, uh, the, while the earbuds didn't totally work for the library, I have to say, I thought, wow, that's a really great compromise trying to find a way to welcome this project into a space that wasn't necessarily looking for something coming into their home, in effect, with loud audio tracks. And we have gallery battles about the audio all the time with our oh. docents, too. But at the same time, their earbuds, if everybody stands there with earbuds in their ears, they can't hear what the other person is saying. So we also saw them as this really neat little kind of metaphor for the importance of listening and communication. And Ohio County Public Library had a lot of them and they were eager to give some away. So that's the explanation behind the little earbuds for you. They are yours to take and please take them. Erin will, will happily give you more if you wish. They're, they're a whole pile on the back <laughs> table there, so take as many as you want. Okay, so now go ahead. We're going to hand the microphone over to Bob here. Would you take that? As you can tell, we don't normally use microphones when we do this, so we're trying to be conscious of keeping to the request on this. So go ahead. Yep. Yeah, so what we're going to do here now is um, I've kind of given a little bit of way. And I think uh, we have one person who used the rosebud thorn uh, process of uh, working through successes, ideas, and challenges. And again, we're still focusing on our challenges, our barriers in uh, working with others, building a collaborative network. So we've identified those challenges, we've identified those thorns. On the piece of paper uh, that you all have, I'd like for you to either work, well, work collaboratively towards finding solutions towards that barrier that's on that pink sticky note. And I've started to kind of group ones that are similar. And if we have time, we can talk about those and how they fit into this uh, chart here. So take, uh, how much time do we have? Um, we have about five minutes or so. Just five a minutes. little bit of time to play with this. Come up with solutions for those challenges or barriers. And the four of us will be around circulating to help you with those as well. Representing a large organization working with a smaller organization or how a small organization or historical society works with other small organizations or the large organization. So take about five minutes toward finding those solutions and call on us if you need some assistance, but we'll be looking over your shoulders as well.
Okay, we'll give you a couple more minutes here and then we'll work towards finishing up and allowing you to ask a few other questions.
Okay, so we are at about the 15-minute mark. We'd like to invite one person as a spokesman of each of your groups to come up to the mic over here to see who is bravest and willing. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to model this exercise, and I hope this is an exercise that, again, you can take and work with your own department of two or three um, and maybe make it interdepartment, uh, your organization wide, with or without volunteers. Um, and when you start to invite people, community organizations, to collaborate with you, this is the same model that you can use to kind of guide those, uh, that guiding question, your efforts towards collaborating. And again, uh, working off the rosebud thorn, but we're focusing on the thorns, the challenges, the barriers of collaborative, uh, doing collaborative work. Uh, we have an XY chart here, but on the left here we have importance. So how important is this idea uh, for you to drive? How important it is to you? And this is where you'll start to see where you may be thinking that you're on the same wavelength of your colleague or other organization, but you're not. And then most importantly, or just as importantly, is, is it important to you and your organization and the community that you're working with when you get to that level? But how difficult is it? So not to throw out the baseball terminology again, but I will, but it's kind of like a spray chart. So, um, where do you want to be? I mean, hopefully you have, and we're going to do this live, hopefully we're going to have pieces that are filling up this whole grid. But basically, I'm going to take one off this sheet here, and I've lumped a lot of them together. Time, limited staff. So if I'm saying to my staff at our staff meeting that we need, in addition to my time, I want three more staff uh, people and I'm going to outline what their positions are outreach coordinator community liaison uh, That's important to me and it may be important to the organization that I work with but as far as difficulty goes Whether you're a full uh, you have two full-time staff members three or in our case 150 It's difficult is it not to hire? additional staff members so I'm going to place that one. I'm not to confuse that, but I'm going to place that here. If that was my idea and my goal that it's important for me to hire 
three more additional or even one outreach person, it's important to me, but it's probably going to be difficult for our organization to do so. And you can see where this, where this analogy will go towards having that open discussion with your department, your staff, and the community at large. So do we understand this chart and how we're going to work through this workshop or how we're going to work in finding? We've identified the challenges or the barriers. Hopefully we found some solutions. So we're going to go around the room just because you guys are who's closest. Who's the volunteer? Who's, who's going to be our spokesman here? We're going to ask you to read uh, what one of those barriers were and what solutions you found and maybe and maybe if you wrote multiple solutions where you would put it on this chart as far as how important is it the more important the higher you are on this chart and how difficult it may be for you to implement it and see where you land on that chart does everyone understand okay are yours just are they similar okay yeah yeah let's do it okay so, so in our group, we had uh, different definitions of collaboration, uh, different work styles, and then how do you match the time uh, to to um, you know to the different collaborators? And they are kind of of a piece, um, you know, which is interesting. Um, but uh, you know, we kind of thought, well, kind of setting the ground rules early on in in your your work together was really the place to start and negotiate that early figure out what each person's goals and styles are and how you make that match figuring out when people can work how much time needs to be allotted uh, and all of that uh, so um, and also defining early on whether or not it's a collaboration versus a partnership um, you know, uh, will there be a great point between the uh, b between the two different partners, or will one be expected to do more work than the other? Which was a really fantastic point. Um, and um, I think, in terms of placement, um, so similar to what I just spoke about, but I went pie in the sky. Uh, I want three more full-time employees <laughs> in my department. <laughs> So, you're, you're where would you put yours? Summarizing, yeah. you're, 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 giving, you're giving, you're adding responsibilities to your already existing staff. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, that's really important and difficult, but it's also easy to negotiate and start the conversation. So okay. So, you feel comfortable? Okay. I would maybe go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So, it's um, important. I okay. mean, I think it's difficult for an organization to work through, but it's a really important conversation to have. And who's next? You're welcome. Thank you. Hold on. Let's get you two. Yeah. Come on up. You're the, you're the, yeah. And if you want to focus on one aspect of um, collaborating and working through a challenge or barrier, you can. Uh, our conversation ended up kind of pulling ours together. Um, so one of them says, what makes a small institution a desirable partner? asset to a larger organization. And then the other one is lack of clarity in the ask or roles of different players. So we felt like kind of the way to solve <laughs> both of those is the conversation from the beginning um, that you need to kind of establish the clarity. And um, if there is any point within a discussion where you've lost clarity, you probably should stop <laughs> and you should regroup yourselves and make sure that you've gotten all of the answers, whether you're the larger organization or the smaller organization. Um, 
if you're the larger organization, you often have staff who will start that conversation and pass it along through the tree. It may not stay with one staff person, so you can lose clarity along the way. Um, and we think that like just being transparent of what you are able to offer and what you're not able to offer from the beginning is really important um, in making sure you know what you're contributing. So I think we would say ours are probably high in importance, but maybe not as difficult to achieve. Um, they may need to kind of be adjusted along the way, um, but they kind of need to be done if you're gonna have any shot at it going smoothly. Okay, so we're gonna see where she, so it's important, very important, but as far as being difficult to implement, Maybe not so. And of course, what she said is communicating within your own staff. Yep. We know how that goes. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not easy. So I can see that moving, uh, being very important, but moving along that slide roll as staff moves on or they're no longer there or it becomes a lack of communication, et cetera, et cetera. So who's next? Want to fit everybody in here and have a few moments, a couple questions. Our post-its were sense of competition and their lack of staff. And in general, we came up with the idea that just acknowledging those challenges right away is helpful, um, especially with lack of staff being open about limitations and expectations, kind of what you discussed as well. Um, and then for having lack of staff, consider keeping the project small within capacity along with that, making sure everybody um, is able to complete the project. For sense of competition, we got a little um, snarky maybe. Um, just like get a whole new staff, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that competition Up on the wall away. somewhere. Um, but if that doesn't work, group therapy. Um, which may not be completely snarky, like you can work out things like that too. Um, but then also, um, similar to what the panelists have said, having a plan to approach for mutual benefit so that we everybody's on the same page. Also, in my, um, what you were saying about talking to people about network um, and seeing who else people should talk to, I thought about that as like talking about who's your audience. So who is attending either the programs or using the resources similar and asking where they see the connections and using them as a tool as well to see like we're serving these people, how can we work together to serve them better? So we put Thank sense of contention like difficult, but it's not that important in the long run. And finally, are you going to the baseball game? No. Uh, so we have a, a few different ones. Um, you know, fastest one was um, uh, relationship building takes time. We don't ha all have the time. And thank uh, Drew from Inspiration from the comments about um, it doesn't take that much time. We all have to get lunch and, and coffee and things like that. So that probably is a really good way um, to start building those relationships. Um, a perception that larger organizations are trying to take over. 
Um, and that we talked about again with building those relationships and just being very um, vocal and clear. So the behooves the large organizations to make sure they're going out and being in the community and going to the other events and, and having those conversations, not just small to small and getting to know each other, but the, the bigger ones really taking the time and having staff go and, and represent. And neither of the, those other two things, I think those are all, the relationship building are all important and they're not difficult things to do. Um, if you can, if you're a big enough place, you have enough staff that different people can be going to different things. So it doesn't have to fall on one staff member. I think that's frequently what happens even in bigger places. So to think about sometimes your volunteers can be those people who go to other places mm -hmm. too. Um, the last one was a little bit bigger and that was leadership of other organizations. Um, the leadership of other organization isn't in a collaborative mindset. The staff is, but they don't want to upset their leadership. Um, so we, so with that one, um, I guess my question was, and what we're saying is, what, figuring out what the leadership is actually concerned about. Is the leadership concerned about a lack of time? Are they concerned about always um, wanting, needing to be the people who are seen as the leaders of a program? What are they actually concerned about? And then as the staff, um, sorting those things out ahead of time and going to the leader of your organization um, with a proposal that basically shows how you've taken those concerns into account but you have a way around that that helps at least bring them into the process but show that you're still moving forward. And it might also be a misperception on the part of the staff about what the leader, why the leader has blocked things previously or not been into things previously. So it's uh, sometimes people just have an assumption about why things are the way they are and you actually need to try to, to find out if that's true. So that one I think is a little, can be depending on who that leader is, a little more difficult. But I think it's very important to understand the intentionality behind that. Thank you. And so we are coming right up against the end of our time, but we do want to take any questions you might have. I will also say I hope that out of both the process and the discussion, and I do think from what I'm hearing, a couple of those key themes have sort of emerged repeatedly. This idea of there's nothing wrong with starting small, build your networks, build a collaboration person to person. Sometimes it's the simplest gestures that can really start that relationship the most effectively. Be clear with what you're doing. I mean, admittedly in this case, the idea of a traveling exhibit as the kind of motivator behind this has its own clarity. We're not just having this amorphous thing out there. We're saying, okay, you program around this. But I think those lessons are still there, so you can take them to other kinds of projects and make space. Your question about is it a partnership or collaboration is an excellent one. This idea of clarifying things up front but leaving space that both parties see this as a win-win and can benefit from it. Um, so I hope you've gotten a few strategies out of this that you can use. I think if you have any questions, we would be happy to answer those. You also have all our information. Um, please take the earbuds with you as well. And we would ask you, if you have these, to please go ahead and fill out the evaluation forms. But does anybody have any questions? Uh-huh. Without naming names? Uh-oh. So um, this time around, we had 17 slots to fill. We had over 50 sites that wanted to host. 
So we kind of had a, a committee that came together and selected those sites that we felt were going to collaborate best uh, based on the knowledge not only from myself but from others at the History Center and beyond. Kind of almost like a interview review process. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, uh, there were sites that uh, after that site was chosen as a host site, they did not uh, collaborate or collaborate to the extent that we had hoped. Uh, we didn't uh, punish them. We didn't call them out on it because, again, it's, uh, it's a partnership. We are not their superiors. We don't own and facilitate or manage them. Uh, we can't drive them in that in that sense. One was another slightly larger institution within the network that had come up with their own plans, their own funder, and they simply decided to go in a different direction. Um, I think some of the others, uh, lack of time, or in one case, an organization that does tend to be very insular, and I think that their membership within the body of the organization simply wasn't as comfortable with reaching out. I mean, we, it's, it's one of those things where when you try it, maybe the next time I think there are other strategies we'll take. I know that they retooled this from the beginning where now when a hosting is going to take place, there's a site visit to every institution in advance of them actually receiving this, so the messages are driven home. But you can't control it. And in a couple cases, as Jared was saying, I mean, maybe the next a younger generation taking over that institution next time will have more affinity for reaching out to others. And some of the questions when we're, we're interviewing these sites and pay, uh, doing an on-site visit, I'm not using this in a classroom setting, but I'm asking questions that I'm formulating this chart in my mind. So if, if I'm hearing a host site say, it's not important for us to collaborate because it's uh, too difficult. I know where that lands. Vice versa. It's important for us uh, to collaborate. We already do that work, and it's relatively easy because we already have programs and events in place. So this is where I want to be, and these are the easier, easier things to implement and go with versus the ones in the – and there's nothing wrong with pie-in-the-sky ideas. These are for your strategic plan, long-range plans. Um, moving even forward five and ten and years And there out. are some places that have moved more in that direction between the last exhibit and this one, and even just the relationship with Bob and working with other organizations. I think one of the things we did, too, at the very beginning of this project is bring everyone together where they had a chance to meet everybody up front. That is another way that can help. Give some introductions up front before they've even hosted and really start a foundation of kind of a sense of community between them. So any other questions? Well, we thank you for sticking it out with us the very last session of the conference. I know that people are flying out, heading to other places, but we're so appreciative that you hung around to come to our session. And I really do hope out of this that you take away a few things that maybe you can use, whether it's with your donors, your volunteers, your board members, or other members of your staff. And by all means, if you want to reach out to any of our panelists, they've all agreed to have their emails on there. So feel free to do so after this event if you think of something later. Thank you so much.